Thank you very much, Keith. Thank you for your warm welcome as a church. It's a a great pleasure uh, to be with you, to be amongst you as a team. Before I start my talk, this is a a quick notice. Uh, Keith's already given you notices, but this is a a notice for you. Uh, Phil and his wife have kindly brought a, a really extensive table of books and literature Uh, OM historically has been known very much about uh, challenging us to be more engaged reading God's word, listening to God's word, but also reading books by Christian authors uh, that we can become better equipped to understand what's happening in the world. So I'd like to just highlight a couple of books briefly, and they relate to a mission to Muslim people. So both uh, Rupi and his wife and ourselves as a family in London, we're working with teams that have a heart to minister uh, to Muslim people with the life and power of Christ. And I'm going to start with a a book that has been actually put into a a series of DVDs as well. Just uh, over a year ago, a a Swiss friend rather, a Swiss friend and I were running this in a local church in London as a course over several weeks, Friendship First. Many different Christian missions and ministries helped to put this material together, and then DVDs. And uh, it's a little bit like the Alpha course in some ways. You watch a video, there's discussion, and you learn from one another, and then are encouraged to put those things into practice week by week. So that's Friendship First, and we've got a number of copies on the book table. And then, again... uh, a number of other books. This is a, a worldwide picture of what is happening. Uh, for those of you who may read mission magazines or just hear stories uh, from different sources, uh, in the years that we're living in right now, there is more happening in the Muslim world than at any other point in history. Uh, many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to faith in Christ in different parts of the world. A wind in the house of Islam gives that overview and that perspective and helps us to pray more effectively. And then a book that is a personal testimony is written by the late Nabil Qureshi. Now if he was alive today, he just passed away a year or so ago, but if he was alive today, he would only be in his mid-30s. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus is a beautiful and very powerful personal story of a young Pakistani who grew up in this country, moved to America, and in a university in America for the first time, met Christians, a peer group who he could talk with and engage with, who asked and answered many of the questions that he had. Very, very good book. Uh, I read it about a year ago, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And then the last book that I'm going to mention is by Phil, who's leading our team this weekend, Phil Slade and his family. And... uh, A Road to Transylvania, and it's their personal story of being on the mission field, Uh, the challenges, the opportunities, the things that they learnt. And you can ask Phil, he probably will sign a copy if you were to purchase it, free of charge, I imagine. Okay. And then the very last thing to mention is literature. Uh, OM is known for not, of course, only mission literature, but getting people into short-term mission. Uh, Probably hundreds of thousands of people over the 60-plus years that OM has been in existence have served in different countries. Right now, OM is working in over 100 countries, and so we have brochures here on short-term mission opportunities. 
And uh, as Phil encouraged us to consider yesterday, mission is not only for a particular age group, the 18 to 30s, but it's for all ages. In London, we have a lady right now in her late 70s working with us uh, with a heart as an evangelist, meeting many people. Um, This is her second program with us period of years. The other thing I'd like to mention is Global Magazine. Uh, This comes out, I think, quarterly and has uh, really good stories to put us in the picture of what is happening and how we can pray for teams working in different countries. And then finally, we would love to keep in touch with you. And so if you would like to receive updates, whether through emails or through the post, uh, then there's a small uh, brochure here to fill out. So I'll put these on the side and make more room for myself. I'd like us to pray now, and I ha- there's a, a short scripture which is, I'm sure, familiar to many of us from Psalm 19, verse 14. So let's pray together. Psalm 19:14. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. As I talk today, I would like to express a number of areas of thanksgiving. Uh, The first is really to the band who, with fairly short notice, were able to lead us in the song that we have just sung, I Am a Child of God. And I'll be mentioning that later. And I think uh, often in life, we are challenged to do new things. And when we rise to that, God often blesses us. And I was blessed as the worship band led us in that song. I'd like to express thanks to Keith, to the missions team, for hosting this whole weekend and for all that has been put into this. I think I can speak on behalf of all of us that we have felt lovingly welcomed, we have been encouraged, and we have been blessed in many ways. So thank you uh, to Keith, thank you to, to Terry, thank you to many others on the team. We've been blessed too with great food, and I'm sure there's a number of people here today who helped in the catering yesterday, so thank you for all those that catered, served, and encouraged us in that way. For me, part of this weekend has been a joy to catch up with friends, and as Keith alluded to, or perhaps mentioned more clearly, uh, I've been linked to this church, part of this church since childhood. And I was just uh, reflecting, it was, in the, it was in 1970 that I moved to Linfield with my family and we moved into the Welkin. And uh, I had been, prior to that, living in Liverpool. So it was a very different place from Liverpool uh, to a beautiful leafy village. Um, one kind of funny anecdote from yesterday. So I've known uh, Terry Ward for, for many years, since childhood. And uh, Terry has worked in a number of areas, including catering and Wallsted School. So our speaker yesterday, Mark, who was leading the afternoon session, as a young boy, he studied at Wallsted while his parents were living overseas. And what we found out yesterday through a conversation is that for three years, Terry cooked for him. And so I said to Mark, well, it obviously didn't do you any harm. You obviously obviously have done well. He's much taller than me. 
uh, much younger as well. So many, many memories of this church. This morning I was thinking about childhood memories and I can uh, reflect being welcomed by uh, a former minister, Richard Tucker, who a number of you will know, welcomed and greeted and loved. Boys' Brigade was a significant part of my life and growing up in this church and the many camps, activities, parades, but which uh, brought a, a foundation of Christian faith so strongly uh, to all who were part of that. And for me, it was wonderful as I walked down the village yesterday to see this huge banner advertising Boys' Brigade. And I hope that will instill in me a desire to pray for what you're doing in the village as you work with young people. A moment ago, we had the reading from Acts chapter 10. And uh, one of the reasons that I chose that scripture was that it's something that over the years, as I have been working with Muslims in London, I started in 1993 to work with Muslim people, so 25 years. And uh, during that time in London, I'm sure a number of you have worked in London, perhaps continue to work in London, and you'll know how cosmopolitan a city it is. And of course, it's not just London, but that's rippling out across our country as we see people from so many nations who are now a, a living part of our communities. And uh, what Acts 10 speaks to me about is lives being transformed, different nations, different peoples, and from very different perspectives. It was at exactly one week ago that I was standing in some very warm water. It was actually a, ple present, a pleasant surprise. It was my first time to help in a baptismal service, actually being in the water. I've helped with baptismal services, but not being in the water. Last Sunday, we had the joy in our church of baptizing uh, sevens, six men, one lady, all from Muslim backgrounds. And before those baptisms took place, we heard each of their stories. And I'll be talking about one particular young man and how he found faith in Christ, the good news of Christ. If we look back at the passage, and if you have access to a Bible, you're, you're very welcome to look at that. But let, let's, we're looking at Acts 10. And uh, there are two key characters in this passage. We have Cornelius and we have Peter. And I can only kind of dip in and out of the passage and draw out and highlight particular issues. But I'd encourage you, if you have time later today, just probably only take three or four minutes, but just to read that, the whole of that story and that account and think about that, this story in relationship to what God is doing today in the world. And one of the reasons that I've preached on this passage from time to time is that Cornelius, for me, exhibits many of the characteristics and traits that I see in my Muslim friends. So let, let's look at the, the beginning of Acts 10, which, which we didn't read. But the beginning of Acts 10, I'll just read the first couple of verses. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. 
he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So we're just going to hold it there for a moment. Those key points, I'll just reflect on those again. These are the characteristics that the Bible records for us of Cornelius. He was devout. He feared God. He gave generously to those in need. And he prayed to God regularly. And as I think back over the years, many, many Muslim men and women, young people that I have met, I have seen many of those characteristics exhibited in their lives. And they are very wor- you know, worthy to be commended for. Yet, though Cornelius had those attributes, what he didn't have was a living relationship with Christ. Great attributes, but there was not a living relationship. When I first started in London, a dear Christian brother came to to me, a a pillar in the local church, who uh, I learned a lot from. And he challenged me to my face. He said, you know, how do you think you can go to Muslim people who already have a faith? What gives you the prerogative? What gives you the right? And I was almost a little bit taken aback because he would be what you would consider, you know, a strong believer, someone who was evangelistic in his faith, an example to many. And yet I was being challenged by him. And um, what I did as he asked me that question, I, I told him a story. And the story was of an Iraqi friend. And this Iraqi friend exhibited the same characteristics of Cornelius. And he was also had a background as a physicist. He was also involved in politics in Iraq. And he had fled for his life uh, because of Saddam Hussein. And he told me his story. And he said, part of being a Muslim during Ramadan, there's a night of power. Muslim people will stay up the whole night and they will read the Quran, and they will seek God's favor. And he told me, with tears in his eyes, he said, many times I've wept over the Quran because I do not know where I will go when I die. He had no assurance of salvation, of faith. So he did everything outwardly um, to seek to be a blessing and to seek God's favor. But he had no peace in his innermost being. And I shared that story with Peter, um, with this friend, and I, I hope that that perhaps spoke to him. As Christians go out and seek to meet Muslims and to share our faith with them, it's not because we believe we are better people, but it's because we, we believe we have a living message that can change lives. And the song that I chose about we are not slaves to fear, but we are children of God, is the reality of that, of what Christ has done in our lives. To come to a knowledge that we are no longer slave, slaves to fear, to be a child of God, is good news. I'd like to highlight and draw out from Acts 10 just some of the key events that took place before the passage that was read to us um, so clearly. So first of all, we heard about Cornelius, about his background as a centurion. 
we hear about his attributes and characteristics. And then the story leads into a very dramatic fashion. In verse C, it says, One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And then in verse 5, we read the instruction. This angel gives a very clear instruction to Cornelius of what he must do. Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. If I had time this morning, I could tell you story after story as as to how the Lord is coming to Muslims through dreams and visions, whether it's through angels or whether it's through Christ himself in bodily form coming. But I'll I'll give you just one story this morning. Um, Around four years ago, a Syrian lady who had, uh, she'd grown up in Syria as a Muslim, And um, a young man, also Syrian, had grown up in London. And he decided that he would take his bride from Syria. So he traveled to Syria. He found his bride, uh, Maria, and he took her back to London. And they had several children. But what she didn't know at the time was that he was a drug user. And he started to abuse her. And it was a very, very difficult situation and marriage. And the marriage broke up, and then the authorities had to become involved, the police had to become involved, and so there was a forced separation that took place. And so Maria, as a young lady, a young mother, as a single mother, was in this situation. She had little English, but one day uh, in the night, she had a vision where the Lord came to her and spoke to her and said, Maria, you should go to, go to church the, ne- go the next day. And so it was that clear, go to church. So the next day she went out into her street in London. She didn't know uh, really anything about local churches. But she just asked someone on the street, so where, where is a church? And the church that she was pointed to was our London church. And that morning my wife and another lady who both speak Arabic were at the door welcoming people. And so Maria comes in, she starts to talk Arabic, and of course there are those there that can talk with her. My wife and this friend sat and talked. Fast forward, around two years ago, Maria was baptized. And uh, she was the first Syrian to be baptized in our church. Uh, Just yesterday she was at our home. I wasn't there because I was here in Linfield, but she was there in our home with her young children. just spending time with Becky, my wife. And it's just one story of God miraculously breaking through into a life and bringing a change. I can recollect seeing her in those first days and weeks, just the the fear and brokenness in her life. But as as I think about her now, uh, the joy that I see. Life is not without its challenges, a young family, 
in a busy city, but month after month, year after year, we're seeing significant change in her life. If we go on in the story, then the, the next part is Peter. Uh, there's quite a large chunk, and I'm not going to, to read this, but I'm just going to really summarize, but read the first couple of verses from verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. And the passage goes on to explain that there, Peter had a vision of unclean animals and God told him to get up to kill to eat. And this happened three times. And Peter remonstrated, he argued with God. And I think all of us who've read stories of Peter, we know his character, his strength of character, his gifts in leadership, and that he wasn't afraid to question and to remonstrate and to argue. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a, a video playback of that scene as it unfolded? But God shook him to his core. And uh, he didn't fully understand what God was preparing him for. But it was to happen very soon. Because as his, as his tummy was rumbling, as he was thinking about the food that was being prepared, and I'm sure he could smell uh, the beautiful Middle Eastern uh, scent coming up from, those, from that food that was being cooked, suddenly uh, the Lord spoke to him that he should go downstairs and she, he should not hesitate to go with the people that are requesting him to go to Joppa. So in verse 21 we read, Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And so the story is explained, the vision that was given to Cornelius. And Peter goes. It was through that vision that God had prepared him. Because as we know, Jews were not to associate with Gentiles. But through that vision, Peter understood and if we go through to, let's see now, in verse 34, this sums up the change that had happened in Peter's heart and in his mind. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is. God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. In a moment, I'm going to highlight one of the baptism stories, but there's one story I want to share of, of change. When I first came to London, my roommate was an Armenian. So he was born in Lebanon. And uh, then he was raised in France and America. So he had a, a, a Christian Orthodox background to him. But while he was in France at school, that's where he heard the gospel truly for the first time. And he came to a living faith in Christ. And then as a young man after university, God called uh, him into missions. And he was at a, an OM missions conference. Yesterday, uh, Phil was talking to us about Go conferences, where hundreds of young people from around the world come together for a couple of weeks before they go out to mission. And in the earlier days of OM, many people would go to those congresses and they may have some ideas where they would go, but they didn't really know for sure. So uh, we'll, we'll call this, this friend, uh, I'll call Adrian. 
So uh, Adrian the Armenian, he, at the conference, he met the field leader of our work in London. And each day our field leader would say to him, uh, you know, have you considered working with Muslim people? We'd love to welcome you in London. And Adrian said, you know, I don't want to go near Muslim people. Don't you understand my history as an Armenian? Don't you understand the genocide, the loss, perhaps several million people uh, of my family's background who were killed? But through those days, the field leader of our work was praying and speaking, and slowly Adrian's heart was changed. Perhaps not dr as dramatically as Peter's, but in the course of several days it was changed from a place of anger and hatred towards Muslim people to a place where he made a conscious decision. London, this is the place I will go. I will go to serve and to work amongst Muslim people. I can speak the language, I understand the culture, and God has started to change my heart as he changed Peter's heart. I want to conclude my talk by sharing one testimony from last Sunday. So as I mentioned, before the baptisms actually took place, each of the seven candidates stood up before us and uh, in their faltering English, uh, they talked about what God had done in their lives. And I'd like to read this word for word. In the name of the Lord, what I remember from the past is that I was taught to take revenge. Non-Muslims were hated. Lying wasn't good unless lying was for my benefit. I was scared of God. Actually, the God that was sold to me was scarier than the worst of people. I always felt something was missing and that, some, and that was everything. About one year ago, I felt that I had lost my faith in everything. I committed suicide. Yes, I say I committed because I became alive again. At the hospital, there was a nurse who talked to me when I was being discharged. She spoke to me about, how the, about the Lord and she explained to me how the Lord saved me. She asked what my name was. In English, his name means chosen. She said, I was chosen by Jesus because she, she heard the doctor say during the operation that I was getting out of the hand. He was, the doctor was losing this patient's life who had sought to commit suicide. The doctor called on the name of Jesus to save me when no one else could help me anymore. And the Lord saved me. He then goes on to say, At the time, I didn't know the person who had saved me, but he knew me better than myself. He sacrificed his son's blood to forgive me without me even knowing him. Now I try not to do any sin. I have stopped lying. Now I know that the real believers are my brothers and sisters who follow Jesus, and I seek to be a good neighbor to them. Everyone will hear the message of Jesus one day when he comes back. I know that no one is perfect, and we are all sinners, but if God can change my heart, 
God can do it for anybody. And so just for a moment, I'd like us to pause and just remain in quiet, perhaps close our eyes. And these words of this Iranian believer, if God can change my heart, God can do it for anyone. Amen.